0: All right. Welcome Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source and co-host of this podcast. I am joined by Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. Listeners tune in to find out how our community is dealing or not dealing with our ever-evolving new normal. Uh, Today we are joined by Mike Krantz, Mike is the police chief for the city of Bend. He started his job in Bend in August, 2020. Great time to come into a new job, I think we can all agree. Uh, Krantz comes from the Portland Police Bureau, the largest department in the state where he served for 27 years and worked as an assistant chief until coming to Bend. He gained the position in Bend over 30 other applicants and five finalists, including three within uh, the Bend Police Department. Krantz has a range of experience from leading a precinct in downtown Portland to running the business fairs of the entire PPB. He also helped to form the PPB's Latino Advisory Council in response to concerns that police would start enforcing immigration laws. Mike, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Um, well, there's a lot of things we'd, we'd like to talk to you. We, uh, we are respectful of the 40 minutes that uh, we spend on this podcast. So we're going to uh, kind of focus on the topic of homelessness, which is such a big uh, topic of conversation within our community. Um, to start, why don't you give us an, just an overview of Ben PD's approach to the issue with the growing number of people living outside homes in Bend?
1: Yeah, that's a big question all in itself. Um, You know, I think the approach to homelessness around law enforcement has changed drastically over the last couple of years, um, probably most drastically over the last two years, but really in a maybe 10-year span. Uh, You look at a lot of of resources have either been eliminated in in different type of uh, environments such as mental health uh, assistance or even addiction services and we all know that those are contributing factors for some persons who are um, involved in homelessness. So with that lack of resources a lot more pressure has been uh, been put on law enforcement to address the issues that are continuing to emerge in the street um, around homelessness specifically. So there's a lot of expectations from the community has been put on law enforcement and over the last 10 years uh, five years couple years law enforcement around especially in Ben maybe the last two years where we've seen this this large growth law enforcement has really generally kind of just accepted that accepted that oh I guess we're doing this now um, I guess we're responding to that I I because there's no one else that's really picking up the phone um, and yeah. I, that's where where we need we're taking a, a step back looking at it is what is our right approach where do we fall into the kind of the the Rubik's cube of uh, services versus enforcement versus uh, presence. Where do we where do we fit? So our approach really and, and it shouldn't be different from anything is we respond to crime. So we re, our, our our role is to respond to reported crime and, and public safety issues. Those are the two things that we continually really focus on. Is are we needed to address a criminal matter or public safety issue and If we continue to focus out as law enforcement, I think that's where people will understand that continues to be our role and not to overexpand it and really look for other, other organizations and other groups to fill in some of those gaps that have been taken up by law enforcement where we realize we probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I
2: mean, obviously, you know, that um, leads perfectly into the next question that we have. Um, so one of those topics that's been discussed for, um, for solutions um, is something called the continuum of care. Um, there's a Department of Justice report that um, they describe it as integrating efforts of local police departments, healthcare agencies, homeless service providers, and other public and private partners. What might this look like in policing what this might look like in policing is having officers, when they encounter an unhoused person during a service call, connect them to services. So is this something that's part of the protocol at NPD um, to, to connect them to those service providers?
1: Yeah, it's, of course, dependent upon every situation and everything has different sets of facts. So it's dependent. If we're in a call to investigate a crime and we have to take criminal uh, action, whether it be an arrest or citation or document a police report for the crime, then we do our work that way um every officer has access to uh resource resource guides where they can refer people to uh, different organizations social service groups but it's also i what i what i don't want to replace is our role is not to go out and always just refer people and we have a specific role um, there is organizations that already exist here that frequently go out and have contact with uh, persons who are either homeless or houselessness for a variety of reasons and those resources and those services are provided and that knowledge is there uh, frequently it's it's not that we're getting very many folks that we contact who have no idea that their services or that there's potential for other options um, that would be pretty rare for us to come across somebody who has no idea and hasn't been given resource options multiple times, whether it be by us or by other service providers and partners that go out and do this work regularly. Um, so yeah, we we can do that, we do that, we have those contact numbers, but um, you know the, the important thing to realize is the most we can typically do is refer somebody or give them the information. Um, unless someone is really, right now, I've made that commitment, whatever it is that they need help with, and then we can try and connect. We have a great relationship and a resource here that not a lot of counties have with the Stabilization Center that if someone really needs that timeout, that break, that connection to the next step, we can take them right there, which we do a lot. Um, and that's a great resource that's really under maybe undersold or under-realized of how critical and important that partnership is here, where age, other, um, other communities don't have that. And we're really lucky um, to have that option.
0: Mike, you touched on this a little bit, but when when we're talking about the mental, health crisis team that gets called out for service uh, in lieu of police can you describe how and when that team gets called out and then how does that team fit into your work with the unhoused
1: yeah so kind of related but not related right as mental health in itself is a whole another um topic or area that doesn't necessarily have to do with mental health doesn't have to do with addiction, but frequently what we do is they all sometimes do interrelate. There's this crossover on all of those, uh, all those things at once. Um, So it is dependent upon the person, but mental health specifically, there's a variety of resources here in in Deschutes County. And and we're lucky, again, we're lucky to have the Deschutes County Behavioral Health with a mobile crisis team. And a lot of communities don't have that and they're looking to figure out how to develop it. What we need to do is figure out how to support that and grow it. Also, what we're seeing at the same time is a huge national push or pull away from law enforcement responding to mental health uh, that doesn't involve a public safety issue or an immediate threat or a weapon or something a little more specific around police because counselors, uh, crisis responders, they're not going to respond to a situation until police are able to confirm that it's safe for them. Um, They're not armed. They're not. That's not their role. They're not public safety. Um, So... There is this relationship that we have to maintain and be good partners on, but there's also this understanding that much of that work is not our work as police officers. So we have a specific role, which is to go out, make a scene safe, determine if there's criminal activity that we have to investigate, determine if weapons. And if not, we work with our partners with MCAT, Mobile Crisis Response Team, and they uh, have the ability to then do that next step, get people where they need to go, connect to services, uh, maybe provide that first step for somebody, maybe get them in the state relations center, potentially have to do an evaluation to see if they need a, a hold um, for the mental health. So there's, uh, there's a relationship there that's growing. Uh, what we have seen in the past, and a lot of agencies have done this, is they've built, uh, and I, you know, this was a, a long history, again, similar homelessness, 10 years or so of growing need that wasn't met by resources in the, the government communities around mental health, and that, Again, the police just said, "Okay, we'll we'll continue to take those calls. No one else is sure. on the phone, so we will." And it just kind of came to the police. We didn't accept it. We didn't say we want to do this. We just did it. And what you're seeing again nationally is like, "Hey, that's not the police job. That's that's a professional mental health crisis job. That's therapist job, counselor job. Um, so let's make that crisis team work." Um, and get people help they actually need. And typically it's not a police officer showing up. We're a great front door. Like we can get people into something we can uh, give them resource. We can refer, but we're not the ultimate solution. And I think we all realize that. I think that's the push is, is having us do what we do well, and then having other agencies or organizations do what they do well. And then we partnership on, on kind of that middle ground. (laughs)
0: Mike, Mike, as you've gotten into these other larger responsibilities, or these responsibilities that maybe fell to you, um, do you feel like in in a lot of cases you guys are maybe unnecessarily critiqued because you're not up to speed on some of the services that a mental health professional would provide? I mean, what kind of position does that put you in?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be critique, right? And you take it and understand it. And some of it's um, gonna be helpful. Some of it's just critique that really is probably unfounded or maybe not necessary, but um, you know, something I'm really impressed with is as police officers, we have years and years of experience of dealing with crisis um, and in, in, in engaging with people who are in the midst of the worst day of their life, right? That's typically, I mean, sure. we're not people's best day. Um, so it's engaging with folks who are really having a bad day whether it be in crisis, whether it be about family trauma, whether it be about criminal acts, um, whether they're victims of a whole bunch of horrific things. So we are really good at crisis communication. We just are. We're really good at de-escalation. We're really good at communicating with people. Um, And I have had multiple counselors and co-responders and folks who work in the um, uh, mental health industry tell us, wow, a lot better than I thought. You, you guys do a really good job. Law enforcement in general in communicating. Um, so to that to that level, some of the situations we're presented with are near impossible. Um, folks are involved in some some whether it's drug induced, mental health induced, other type of 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 trauma and or anger. Um, we do a really good job at deescalating those and getting them to manageable situations for the time. But again, we're the bandaid. Right, that's what we do. We go out and we put band-aids on situations in twenty minutes. Um, many, many of these problems that are presenting themselves, these things we're involved in that we're called to to come help, these have been lifelong development problems. Like people have got to this place after a lifetime of fill in the blank. So we're asked to fix that in twenty minutes. Um, sometimes from you know an officer who's got four years on at twenty-five years old, and um, going to address these issues. So. We're actually really good at it, and frequently the critique is, um, is it's not appropriate um, because the situation we deal with, we're super successful, and that, that a lot of times, you know, I think a vast majority of people realize that, that out of 100,000 calls a year in the city of N, we do a great job in, in the response and de-escalating and using less, much times less force than necessary and engaging with our partners um but on the other end again we're great at bandaging something for 20 minutes we're not the long-term solution and that's where our partners come in in the mental health industry where they can assist people if they're ready and want to get to that next step where it's a long-term solution for their life
2: like you mentioned um the mcat and just the desire to grow that program um What, I'm just curious, what are the, you know, what are the steps to making that happen? And what, what are the the things that you talk about, um, among your leadership teams to help fund something like that to the next level?
1: Well, there's, uh, there's so many challenges with it. Um, first uh, there's been a lot of discussion and even direction with uh, legislative, uh, actions this year or 2021, where, uh, there's funding available for, uh, mental health teams through counties. Uh, for the creation of crisis response teams, similar to MCAT, what's already here, uh, there's been as, you, as you, I'm sure you're aware, there's been a lot of discussion locally, um, regionally, and nationally around similar programs or designs to uh, cahoots at, at that Eugene, uh, has been successful in. Uh, and I would say MCAT is similar to that program in that it places uh, uh, therapists or or mental health workers in an ability to have a first response or a street response. It's slightly different. And I've always been the advocate that we create a program that is that works for Deschutes County, not a program, not exactly copy a program that someone else has it that works for them. And I think that's where a lot of the legislative action has been in that they're supporting the creation of programs or funding some of those programs, or at least offering the ability to get some of those programs funded. Um, the difference is, is the mental health response, Department of Health, it's a county responsibility. Um, it's a county requirement it's not a city requirement. However, there's a lot of momentum in the cities because like the city of Bend, we have the largest population in the county. So of course we, we use a lot of that service as our community. Um, so it's, uh, it's one of the, the city council goals here is, um, to find alternative methods, non-traditional non-police responses. So to how do we support that, uh, whether it be in that we uh, working in partnerships. Some of that, there's not been a further discussion yet around does that mean funding. Does that mean, what does that mean exactly? Um, I know that uh, they're hiring at the Shoots County mental health uh, right now. So if anyone is interested, I know that's out there. Um, so that's uh, really, that's, that's where that it's, it's a great partnership and we need to figure out how, how do we support that team and that, that uh, agency, to where they're they're fully functional and they're responding countywide. Again, they have to go to the whole county, um, and that they're 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 really helpful for our community.
0: Mike, there's a um, the new group that formed the Ben Humanity Coalition has been picking up a lot of um, attention off the energy that's been generated around um, some of the problems that are caused by. Homelessness and and some of the more visible camps, um, they're it, it, to paraphrase their approach. They're interested in having a lot more enforcement around existing um, existing laws that that would make things like public urination um trespassing those kind of things from your perspective is this an um is this an approach that works uh is it something that you guys are excited about picking up or is you know what's your approach to this kind of uh concept
1: yeah i i haven't really uh, been too familiar with that new group you, you you mentioned but the the concept of increased enforcement um could be the solution i i think um it's, it's very challenging, right? The use of an enforcement tool sometimes is just as effective or as important as the use of a discretionary tool in law enforcement. We have a tremendous amount of autonomy and discretion when we go out and do our job. And that's for a reason, because we're really trying to work on what will solve the problem at the time. Like what's gonna reduce the impact of public safety right now. Um, sometimes that's enforcement. Sometimes that is a stern warning. Sometimes that is discretion and not being involved at the time. Sometimes it's evaluating the situation, determining if we take an action, what's that going to cause? Are we going to then have to use force on somebody because we were trying to, um, we were trying to enforce a, you know, urination in public uh, city code municipal court violation. That's really not where we want to go. We also have to look at the governmental interest on when we apply force and how we use it and how it came about. So there's, there's a lot to that. Um, In the, in the other picture, uh, when you look at it, Enforcement is definitely, like I said, a tool, and sometimes it works, but I think as we've seen a lot of the times is enforcement doesn't always work. It, it, for folks who are already in a position to where they're, they don't have a home, they don't have a way to get to court, they definitely don't have the way to pay a fine, um, is enforcement gonna be the solution at that point right then? And that's where we look at is, yes, I could write them a ticket, Um, if they're doing a certain act, if this person is engaged in whatever low-level act that would result in enforcement, um, will that solve this problem? Or right now especially, will a municipal court citation uh, be torn up in front of me and I'm not taking the jail on it, so is it really going to solve anything right now? Will a um, citation for a low-level crime like trespassing is that going to solve anything right now? Or will they walk up in front of me and walk away because we can't take them to jail because of COVID restrictions? Um, so are, is it a solution? And if it's a tool to solution, we're that, that is definitely something officers can use. Um, but kind of the approach of a mass, like go out and write a whole bunch of citations for X, you know, whatever we want to put in that. It's, that's not going to solve the issue.
0: But what, Mike? What do you you say? What do you say to those people who are who think that this notion has a loftier goal of just creating a hostile environment in the community for that group where they don't want to be here? Like where you know, I've I've seen it on my favorite social media. Next door, you know, people who are constantly irritated by the fact that they think that because. There isn't this draconian put down on these folks that they feel comfortable. They want to be here. This is a cushy life for them. What did, what's that look like from the police department standpoint?
1: I think it's uh, it's really mixed, right? Because everyone who is in the midst of some sort of crisis around homelessness has a life circumstance that's got them there, and everyone's different. So yes, there is, and I have had success with this in policing uh, in my career too. There is definitely a component. Of, that are involved in criminal behavior and ongoing aggressive behavior and destructive behavior and livability issues. There is a component, for instance, in a variety of these camps that we have in town that certainly could benefit from some enhanced enforcement and would probably make that, that, that small percentage of that group less want to be here. And maybe they would go somewhere and conduct criminal activity at other places, or maybe they'd be held accountable to that criminal activity and change their life. Um, but that's not everybody. So we have to be really careful about that. There's definitely a, a percentage of the group who we could, we could um, we could almost guarantee they're involved in ongoing criminal activity daily. And those folks should be, uh, should be the recipients of enforcement activity when necessary around criminal behavior. Absolutely. And held accountable that criminal behavior. But that's a, that's what I would assume is at a higher level, for instance, drug trafficking, assaults, um, you know, theft, ongoing theft, criminal mischief of properties. It's not the low level where I think there's, so there's this difference in enforcement. If it's low <laughs> level and municipal court citations for everybody, that's not really the solution either. But there, there is definitely good theory around. If you especially provide a little attention to the people who are engaged in ongoing criminal activity, it's less likely they're going to want to continue to engage in that, especially stay in the same spot. On the other hand, there's also success in, uh, when camps get so large, uh, they become more problematic, more groups of people gather together. Uh, and, and I, th- you know, I think we all understand there's mental health involved in a lot of this there's addiction issues There's drug dealing involved in, in some of this there's behavior that sometimes is not pro-social. So when large groups of camps get together, that brings more negative activity around the camp, more criminal activity, more violence, more responsive police. And we can look at data and show that we go to these areas significantly more when camps grow. So the benefit is to have a reduced size in camps as well. So there is, and folks who make a habit of, of, there's also a large different variety of folks who are in the midst of homeless. It's tons of reasons. And there is a group who consider themselves travelers who travel around and go to cities who are um, less, less involved in enforcement and more likely to allow the activity. So that group, if, if attention is paid to that, those activities may be less likely to set up and stay, um, but it won't affect everybody. Some people have nowhere to go. I mean, that's, you know, and, and enforcement is not gonna be the, the solution for them. So it's much more complex than just, hey, we need to enforce the laws that exist and then it will be fixed.
2: When you talk about, okay. um, you know, the size of these camps, of course, the first thing that I think of is, and what many people I'm sure think of is the Hunnell Road camp. I'm just curious: how often do your do officers go up there, um, without being called? Is it something that Ben PD routinely, you know, just patrols through, um, you know, just singling them out because that seems to be the largest encampment um, in the city?
1: Yeah, so we we go up there quite a bit for calls, so. As you can imagine, um, it's a it's a large amount of people out there, so we're going to get a lot of calls for service. It's probably um, concentrated-wise in a small space, the highest area calls for service we get in the city. Um, so we're out there a lot um, for a variety of reasons, everything from fights to parking issues to people blocking the roads to a couple shootings now. So we're out there. Um, Officers are expected to go out there as well and drive through once in a while. They're not; they don't have a bunch of time to do a bunch of specialized enforcement. But their job is to look for criminal activity and interdict it. So they will go out there. We've had shootings out there. There's drug activity. Um, we get a lot of complaints from the community about parking issues and people blocking traffic and um, just a large variety of of complaints. So yes, they're expected to be out there. Um, they're not overly uh, committed. It is kind of on the far edge of town, and it's one district down there. Um, but uh, and and they're they're obviously limited by amount of time they do patrol work, uh, normally respond to calls. So just just sheerly by the number of calls we get there, we're, we're frequently there a lot.
0: Mike, just
2: doing a little research. Sorry, Sarah, Aaron. Um, I was doing some research. You know, just kind of what are police solutions? What what are, what are folks talking about? Um, in terms of solutions in, for the unhoused and, and police interactions. And one of the things that was interesting to me was that um, they talk about data collection as kind of like the first step. Um, so I'm curious, like, what kind of data collection is Ben PD doing specifically for unhoused populations? And how do you, if you are doing that, how do you sort out that data to make sure you're, you know, if this is data you use to address homeless issues in the future?
1: Yeah, so that that's a sense. challenge for us. We want to be data-driven and, and respond to that data appropriately and put resources where we have it. But we don't collect data around houselessness or, or um, homelessness, so that makes it a little more challenging. I think generally people would expect that we do somehow, but you know, we don't have any boxes to check that says homeless when we talk to somebody and it's sometimes a matter of they are this month and next month they're not. So are you really compiling data about an individual and their housing status, rather than criminal activities, and um, and that's where we need to focus and where we focus. Our reports are based on criminal responses and, and criminal reports, so we don't have a collection method for that. It's really for us, it's anecdotal. Of um, we just kind of know where we respond to, and we uh, our folks who work district and patrol know the people who live in their districts or, or stay in, in camps in their districts.
0: Mike, so. Um, <clears throat> some of this you may not know i know you came into the force in 2020 but um how much uh, by by a percentage or n- a number of some, how much of this issue uh, regarding houselessness how much of time is that of the ben p pd how much resources are you going and i don't mean in dollar just you know your your sense of like as an emer- as a growing concern how much time are you spending in this area
1: Significant. Uh, Again, because the data is limited around how we collect it. Um, For instance, if I had 100 trespassing calls, we could again anecdotally kind of say by talking to the officers, the vast majority of those are dealing with folks who are in the midst of homelessness. Um, But we don't record that, so we can't really tell. But what we do know is that, you know, again, by talking with officers and the people out responding, listen to the radio all day. a lot of our calls especially those low level livability trespassing person standing on the road screening person walking down the road with a bat um you know complaints of tents complaints of cars parked in the road people sleeping in in an area that uh that people call in on it has significantly increased our response or at least the request for responses from the community um so it's it, what we're seeing is our resources so our officers our labor pool right don't meet their expected service level by our community we're getting significantly more calls than we can handle as far as sending resources to so we have to weed out what do we what do we respond to and what do we not respond to especially in the future as we continue to grow as a city but we're not getting tons more uh, resources financially and budgetary wise so how do we how do we look at that service demand, especially around non-criminal activity like homelessness, where we shouldn't be necessarily the first response anyways. And there's a lot of stakeholders and partners that do that work. Where do we respond? And how do we approach that? How do we um, use our resources effectively, responsibly, respond when we need to, criminal activity, threats to public safety, um, problematic behavior that we should address, but maybe not respond to everything around uh, those because people call it in. And that's it's, it's difficult because you have to look at all the call criteria and you can't always say, oh, we're just not responding to X because there might be some information there where, oh, that actually for this call, we would respond to that because there's a public safety issue we have to be present at. Sure. But yeah, you know, it has, it has drastically put a, a, uh, an impact on our officers and our response in the city.
2: Yeah, well, Mike, I just I mean, have to drive home that it seems like collecting the data would really be helpful for for this whole situation to to just share it with the public what the the depth of the situ of the if the issue is for for public safety and for their own you know for responses that they would um, maybe miss out on. Um, so I want I wanted to ask about um, your take on the City Council's proposal for a Joint Office on Homelessness. Um, the idea, be, idea being uh, local governments could secure funding, service providers could provide service. Um, obviously, the police department would have a role there. What's your take on it, and where, where do you see you fitting in with that?
1: I'm a strong proponent of, of, of this, and I know um, it's been proposed through um, Representative Croft and I think it's been just a great push forward by a lot of folks who understand the magnitude of the problem. Um, and that problem, I mean, being that there is no central source right now. There is no specific office or group that's responsible generally to look at the direction of where we're going as a region and approach that with, with kind of one, one focus, one goal, one eye, and having input from all the, all the other partners, but but really being the driving force. There's a lot of Kind of a shotgun approach right now where everyone's doing something different and um, everyone's getting different information and different complaints um, different communities responding so the idea that we have a centralized source i think is really going to help i you know i do think it needs to be set up correctly and i think it needs to uh, have a lot of direction and probably resource correctly it's going to be a challenge for whoever is in those roles but part of that is not only uh, as you mentioned, you know organization and coordination, but I think that office generally should be the, the one source when someone wants to complain or provide information about a campsite or anything, they should be the intake uh, Cause right now that is going to the police department. It's going to dispatch, go to the sheriff's office, going to city council, city manager, everyone's getting something different. Um, so one source, one information source also for the community. So people have the same expectations. There's a lot of different expectations out right now. That if there was one information source where people could go and answer their questions, whether it be a website provided by this group, it would really be helpful.
0: Mike, I know that um, you know the budgetary uh, budgetary allocation around the police department is always a pretty interesting political dance, and um, you know we recently had a, you recently has been in discussion the poorly named defund the police movement, which at the same time there's a, an aspiration that you guys, as you've indicated, handle more, uh, do more things, handle handle more of a load with regard to houselessness. Do you think that people are, understand the correlation between the type of service level that they're requesting? Because the demand for solutions in this area is pretty high, it feels like, in the community um coupled with the idea that that might mean that at come tax time they're going to need to reach deep into their pocket or is this something that they feel is just like hey this would if if, if mike just applied himself a little harder this problem would would go away what's your thought around that
1: well uh, that's a, also a lot of, a lot of potential quite answers to that question right but i think um when you look at the growth in that city, I think in the city growth population in the last five years, somewhere around 38 percent or something like that. And then our growth in police department has been about 12 percent um, with that growth in population has been con- uh, an additional growth in demand for really what's our basic service. Answering 911 calls, um, non-emergency calls as well, but 911 calls. And that continues to grow every year. Um, and those calls, we have been a you call we serve agency for forever. That's what we've done because we've had a community that has been small enough to be able to answer that service level. Um, The continued population with different expectations as well. We have a lot of people who aren't coming from the local area, Oregon. We have a lot of people who move here with different expectations around policing and law enforcement and service, some high, some low, so big variety, but we're still getting those calls. We're still getting that service at a 38% increase. Um, We don't have that staff that's grown with that. So yeah, there is there is expectations by a vast majority of the community of fix my problem, and I don't really worry about what it is you have for staffing or numbers or I just call nine one one because it's important to me right now. Um, it's an emergency. I need help. Whatever it is, um, and the rest of the year or the rest of the time, they're not really paying attention to that. But at some level, we have to have a community who is involved in help building those expectations. What they want as a service level, um, because we're building it. We're we're going to build based on our um, available resources. We're going to build what our service level is going to be, and that's going to be a change this year, especially in that we are going to start figuring out what calls do we really not need to go to, uh, what calls can we no longer serve because we just don't have the labor hours to do it, um, and that'll be a bit of a change for our agency, not only for our community but for the people who work here. Um, there's 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 definitely a frustration around that right now by employees of overworked constantly going call to call to call. Um, but there's also this understanding that, man, we've always been this agency who just, there's a call, we go and we handle it. Um, so we have to balance that somewhere this year and figure that out because we're not getting um, 40 more cops this year, right? That That's just, we have 108 police officers positions. We have about 99 right now. Um, and we're, we're not adding those positions. So we have to figure out, we have to match, match labor and, and need and uh, that's going to be a challenge going into the year.
2: So, are the other positions just unfilled at this time? Are you dealing with staffing concerns like everyone else?
1: Yeah, I think um, law enforcement nationally is still dealing with staffing concerns. We are as well. It's a problem that uh, we we all recognize as uh, law enforcement leaders, in that it's uh, it's an environment where not everyone wants to get into anymore right now. Um, I think we go, you know, we ebb and flow, and it'll come back to. To higher demand for the job but it's not it's uh, we're not having large pools of applicants we're getting some really good folks coming in which is great to see um, and we also have this attrition around retirement we've had retirements this year uh, you can't ask people to stay longer than you know I mean they, they're at the retirement and I, I'd love to ask them to stay but uh, you know it's they, they have plans too so we, we battle with that um, we'd like to stay stay, stay around a 5 percent vacancy that'd be about normal for law enforcement. Um, rather than the eight or nine percent we're at right now, um, and uh, we've got open positions, so we're looking to hire. But again, folks are also leaving the profession of law enforcement for a variety of reasons. Twenty twenty was not a great year for law enforcement, and to feel like you're in a job where you are dedicating uh, substantially more than what uh, maybe friends or family who doesn't dedicate quite as much as your life to that job. So you're dedicating a substantial amount to that job. Um, you are putting yourself in risk of mental health issues. You're putting yourself at risk of trauma. You're putting yourself at risk of death and injury. You're putting family at risk. Um, it's a great job and I highly encourage people to do it. It's a great public service, um, but not everyone is willing to step into that right now. Um, uh, when you do that and you don't feel it's reciprocated with at least a little respect um, from the larger community, uh, then you know it's a challenge for folks and I understand that. Um, The perspective of that,
2: speaking of that challenging thing, I know we um, we're going to wrap up soon and I just wanted to touch briefly on the notion of camp sweeps I know this is not always a popular. um, Topic Um, certain members of the Community are not happy when encampments are swept so um you know what, how can we do it better as a community and if you had all the resources in the world, how would you do, how would you handle encampments.
1: All the resources in the world, that'd be a tough one. Um, <laughs> so camp, uh, camp, especially unsafe camps, right? Established campsites that are unsafe and large and creating more of a public safety hazard have to be cleaned up. They really do. That's a responsibility of the, of the government, municipality. That's the job of the government is maintaining public roadways, maintaining public streets, public spaces for the enjoyment of use of everybody. Um, to allow places to become basically closed off or not being able to be used by the the general public or the larger public is not the government role. So there's a challenge in that there are definitely uh, mindsets around that the approach is to do nothing at all whatsoever ever to all the way to never let anything come out clean up uh, and, and clean up everything right away. So it's trying to find that balance within the laws, within the court decisions, case precedent and fit appropriately within What's the community expect as a whole? Because really government operates at the whole of the community, not at individual goals. And then how to, how to affect that compassionately with empathy, but still understand that we have a job to do as far as we have to clean up spaces that affect public safety and public health and wellness. Um, so all the resources, I guess i try and find a lot of solutions for all the conditions that lead to homelessness, because I think what we're talking about is homelessness is a symptom. Um, of a larger problem in someone's life and if we had the ability to lead all those resources to fixing folks to get where they want to be whether it be addiction services mental health services previous trauma in their family domestic violence sexual abuse um, uh, economic issues ho- uh, job training if we had all that and we could get folks really successful and and make them healthy and well that'd be awesome um, I, I don't know how you know that's pretty unrealistic again that's if I had every resource. Um, not everyone is ready for that. Not everyone is ready to accept that all the time. Um, and I think, you know, as uh, it's, it's just a task that is so difficult to get to that point. Um, should we have some places to offer for shelter when people are ready? That's the goal right now. Like that's a basic goal. Um, will everyone have a house? I don't think that's realistic ever, um, but having a place that's dry or warm, um, some sort of shelter, uh, that would be a realistic goal that I think we can look at uh, to at least work into, but also having expectations. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that we can end on here is that as a community, and this is not you're either one or the other. Uh, this is really the community has to work with our elected bodies and our agencies and together to find the solution that works in a compassionate manner. But just because um, people are are not accepting of the, the issues that go on at large camps doesn't mean they're not compassionate. It doesn't mean that um, compassion equals consent. So if you want, uh, it, it, I think we have to compromise what is going to work, what's going to help with the public safety and cleanliness and, and health and wellness of the community as a whole, including folks who are there Intents, right? So the, the public safety, safety and health and wellness of everybody, how do we find a solution to that as, as a community and not as these separate sides all the time Throwing blame because there really is there's no room for blame in this. There's room to move forward and find solutions.
0: Well, Mike, we are at the end of our time together. Uh, Is there anything that you'd like to say to readers/slash listeners uh, before we we let you go?
1: Well, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to come share. This is uh, it's complex. There's a lot of information that is missing from folks and they don't have it all, which I understand. People fill in the gaps and they make up a lot of, uh, kind of, how to answer the questions they have. So I just encourage folks to continue to ask questions, continue to be receptive to solutions, and uh, it's going to be a long road. It's going to be a long road, and I think people need to be prepared for that and understand that there is a tremendous amount of effort um, on a lot of people right now, working forward to find solutions and how to address uh in a, in a compassionate way but also address the problems that we're seeing uh, on the street
0: great mike thank you for your public service we really appreciate it and for you taking the time to come on the podcast
1: thank you i appreciate it
2: thank you chief thank you. Bye.